please. And, uh, and I just want to pose a question to you. Um, uh, you know, God's been really ministering this to me, but I want you to think for a moment, what, what, what is the value? Uh, think about a child, okay? And what is the value of maturity? What's the value of maturity? Like, as a, as a young person matures, um, what, what is gained by them through maturity? What happens as you mature? I, I'll give you an example of my own life. You know, Ethan is going to be 16 uh, in less than a month. And so, you know, we're looking for a car, you know, and trying to, to find all that type of stuff out. But, but because of the fact that he's so mature, like, I'm not worried or concerned in any shape, form, or fashion about, uh, you know, him getting a vehicle or even what type of vehicle he gets, you know, because of that maturity. And because, so because of the fact that he has that maturity present in his life, I feel very comfortable trusting him with something that's powerful. Are y'all tracking me? He's a, a great deal more mature than I was when I was 16 years old. You know, yeah, praise God, we could laugh about that, right? Uh, yeah, by the time I was 17, I had three points left on my license. So I had lost that many. I passed a cop in a no-passing zone in Paris. It was, it was an unmarked car, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't like purposely pass a cop, but I passed a cop in in a no-passing zone, and I thought he's going to beat me up. This is like before picture, before cameras and all that, and then like, I mean, he, I, I was afraid. But uh, he probably should have beat me up. I probably needed a little beating up in my life. But anyway, by the time I was, you know, 17, I had three points left in my license. Clearly, I did not have the maturity to handle the added responsibility. <laughs> Thank God Jesus got a hold of me. But uh, think about maturity here for a moment. Can you all give me something? What, what, ha what happens with maturity? Wisdom. Okay, that's good. Wisdom. And, and wisdom impacts your life in a very positive way. And that, you know, how I many you know the more wisdom you have, a lot of times the less bumps and bruises and bad experiences you have. How I many you know wisdom will go around stupidity? How I many you know, I mean, you know stupidity hurts? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so with maturity, um, you, life might get a little bit easier as a result of wisdom. Anybody else got anything? Maturity? Discernment. Being able to see what's going on. Be able to, to, to see, through thing, you know, see things and know what's going on. That's excellent. Connie? Oh, that's excellent. That, that is excellent. because That's very good. All these things are good, but this brings out a really solid point. Because like, like Lily right here, she's you know, six months old. God love her. Lily's the, the center of her own universe right now. You know what I'm saying? It's all about Lily. She doesn't understand much beyond that. You know, rightly so, she's a baby. But Eli is learning how to be aware of Lily and care for Lily. Y'all tracking me here? Ethan's far beyond all of them living for something other than himself. You follow me? When you're immature, you just live for yourself. And as a result of that, you're actually not happy I, in, in a, as you get older. You know, a baby's a baby. But, like, if the only thing you live for is yourself, if you're the center of your own universe, you are not going to be happy. Because when you do well, you're going to be super prideful. And when you don't do well, you're going to be super condemned. And your focus is always on yourself. I mean, you know, if I were self-conscious right now, it would be difficult for me to minister effectively to you. I endeavor to not think about myself at all. If my focus can be on Jesus and loving you, I can lose sight of myself and I can confidently lay out the word. Y'all tracking me here? So maturity uh, allow, makes you aware of others. Anything else for maturity? Wisdom. Tim said that. Oh, no, it's okay. It's good. Responsibility. How I many you know with maturity, you get some more responsibility? How I many you know being able to drive when you're 16 is nice? You know, I mean, seriously, I mean, like, Ethan's hyped. Like, he'll get to drive himself to his own soccer practices. He'll get to, you know, how I many you know, with that responsibility comes greater freedom, yeah. more options. You know, when you're an eight-year-old, if you're going to go get ice cream, you got to talk somebody into taking you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But when you're 16, you know, you get a little bit more. But how I many you know, as an adult, I can go buy a whole gallon of ice cream and sit down on my couch and eat it by myself and can't nobody get on to me except my wife. 
You know what I'm saying? And then, and then I can always just say, I'm going to buy another one, I promise. <laughs> but and you're right, it has never stopped me. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Jeremiah Johnson loves him some ice cream. Praise the Lord. But, but as you get older and not even older, just more mature, you, you have more freedom and you have more, you have more responsibility as well, but you have more options on what, what you're going to do. Anybody else anything on maturity? Control. control. Yeah, you get into a position of greater control. Example would be, you know, Ethan. Like when we leave the room, Ethan's, you know, with, with Eli and Lily, he gets to be the boss for a little bit. You know, sometimes he does good, sometimes he doesn't. Praise God. But there is an element of uh, control. There's an element of leadership at, with maturity. That's excellent. Good. Anybody else? Experience. It, amen. Experience. That's excellent. Experience a lot of times can help produce maturity. Amen. Anybody else? Maturity? Learning how to not. Yes. Come on. Praise God. I think we could all use a good solid dose of that. We all need a little bit of that. Like, everybody don't need our opinion, do they? Amen. The ability to not speak. Yes. That's good. Amen. So, on and on, but what I want to show you here, turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. I think you guys are probably there. It says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Uh, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, one of the things that, that, that so there's, there's a call to maturity. There's a call to growing up as a believer. How many know that as a believer, you can mature? Amen. And, you know, a lot of times the example that I use here, and we, we do celebrate um, the concept of children in this church in the sense of, how I many you know, we want to be uh, become as a child in our faith and our trusting. Can I get an amen? And and you know, and, and I love children, and I love how children have an absence of sin consciousness, and they're not self-conscious, and they have all of these traits that really we want, that traits that I feel like are close to the kingdom um, and are good. But at the same time, uh, there is an element of maturity uh, that we're that we're called to. And in this passage, it says, "Don't be children in your thinking, like mature." in your thinking, you know, uh, be infants in evil, you know, don't be skilled at evil, don't be mature in evil, uh, but in your thinking be mature. So there's this, like, this call to maturity. Now turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want to talk a little, because what I, what I share a lot, it, it, that pretty much just about everywhere I go, and, and we, we've heard this here a thousand times, because I share it all the time, uh, because, you know, in, in relationship to grace, how I many know that, that you always you always start in grace. There's no other way to start than in grace. And uh, because when you come to the foot of the cross, you don't have anything to earn. You don't have anything to deserve. You've come to the end of yourself. You're ready to receive a rescue that you didn't earn and you didn't deserve. If you really got saved. I mean, you know, to get saved, you have to begin in grace. But what I have seen a lot of times is, you know, you see somebody first get saved and that person will have peace. You remember when you first got saved? I'm just bringing it back out again. You had peace, you had joy, you knew God loved you, and you knew that you were forgiven. Okay, get an amen. And as a result of that, you had the fruit of the Spirit just rolling out of your life without much effort or even thought. You know, when I first got saved, I was full of joy. The flowers looked different. The whole everything looked different. And you, and you couldn't stop me from sharing what was on the inside of me. Like, I was excited about Jesus, right? I immediately started telling all my friends about Jesus. And so, and then a lot of times what can happen is you'll have someone have that born-again experience where they're, they're actually in grace, and we see all this through the Spirit. But then 20 years later, you see that same individual or someone that's been saved for 20, 25, 30 years, they have no peace, they have no joy, um, they have, uh, they're, they're, they're not sure if God really hears them or not. And you can't make you can't hardly make them tell somebody about Jesus. And so the example that I give a lot of times is why is it that we start out more mature than where we end up? And when I lay that out, I'm laying that out really to demonstrate and to show people what legalism does to Christians. Because you start and, and, and this experience of being born again is so powerful that we, we didn't understand why people were so like full of love, peace, and joy in the beginning. So we created words to try to convey what, well, they're just a baby Christian. Yeah. 
you know, they're eventually going to be, you know, just like us, you know, or, or whatever. And, there, and there's no scripture that that's, or they're on the honeymoon. You know, they're just on the honeymoon, but God's going to come cracking down later. But if it's not a biblical concept, we can't embrace it. There's no such thing as a baby Christian having this amazing experience. There's no such thing as a honeymoon in Christianity. How many know God wants honey through the whole moon? <laughs> can't get an amen? He wants the whole thing to be honey and beautiful. But the issue here is what happens is you actually begin in grace. That person believes they're forgiven. I mean, if you don't believe you're forgiven, it's going to be difficult for you to enjoy all of the benefits that God has provided in Scripture. If that, if that evil, sinister lie of condemnation comes in and tries to separate you from, from God's opinion of you, um, then, then it really stops up the wells and causes things not to flow like they're supposed to flow. But when someone is first saved, they have a tremendous awareness of Jesus. And, and you, how many of you see somebody first get saved? How many of you see people get healed? You see amazing things happen at that moment. And the reason it's so amazing is because it's amazing grace. They are beginning in grace. But many times in modern day Christianity, we teach people out of grace into legalism so they start out more mature than where they end up. So I share that all the time to let ever, help everybody understand uh, the ramifications of legalism and the power of grace. However, what I, what, I, what I want you to understand is we're supposed to begin in grace, but we're supposed to grow in it. Can I get an amen? How many know you can mature in grace? Yes. Okay, amen. Let's look at it. Let's see. It says 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the intention in the kingdom is to begin in grace and grow in grace. So, Because how many know that baby Christian, if you allow that term, or that person that just got saved, how many know if they're not taught, they'll get knocked right out of that sweet spot? What are you talking about? How do they get knocked out, Jeremiah? Well, they make a mistake. All they got to do is make a mistake. So if they make a mistake, how many know the enemy is going to come right in there to condemn them and try to pull them out of grace? Or let's say that they're a strong-willed type A personality who's an overachiever. How I many know they're going to they're walk straight down the road of legalism and they're going to be fast-tracked into the elder brother position, which is filled with self-righteousness and criticism towards other people. But how I many know that's not grace? And they're not going to have love, peace, and joy in that, in, in, in that place, just like they're not going to have love, peace, and joy under condemnation. And so you get that fresh place of grace, <clears throat> but what we have to do is we have to teach people how to remain in that place and grow in grace. Amen. So with that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And so there's a place of maturity in the body of Christ that is for you, you know? And, you know, as my son begins to mature, you know, the, he, there's, there's doors that are going to open to him. There's opportunities that's going to open to him. As Eli begins to mature, there's doors that's going to open to him. Opportunity. And, and, but how I many you know if, if you don't mature, it doesn't matter how, how much older you get, you're not going to be able to have that responsibility um, and you're not going to have those doors open like they could if you did mature. Amen. How I many know that a child that you can trust gets more options than a child you can't trust? I mean, this is just facts, man. You know, and, and God wants to develop a maturity in us, a faithfulness in us, so that um, doors can open in places of influence. Now, it, it doesn't mean that we're earning these things with our efforts. What it means is, is that we're allowing the grace of God to do a work in our heart. Because how many know the work's finished on the inside? How many know you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? But how many know that the mind and getting your mind renewed to that reality takes some time? When I first got saved, I was still hooked on drugs. I was when I first got saved. And it took a long, it took time for me to get set free. But now, thank God, over the years, through through remind, mind renewal and really just finding out who I really was, as opposed to the person that died with Jesus on the cross, the person that I used to be, um, now, you know, drug addiction no longer has a place in my life, and it hasn't had a place in my life for like 20 years. And so, but it was the product of me finding out who I was and maturing in the grace of God and stepping into my true identity in Christ. Can I get an amen? 
I mean, the work's finished on the inside, but, but there is a mind renewal process that happens. There's a maturing that happens. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping. Everybody say equipping. The purpose of fivefold ministry is to equip believers and empower believers for ministry because we are all ministers, okay? There's not one person like, well, he's a minister because he's a pastor, and, you know, I'm not a minister because that's garbage. We are all ministers. I mean, we are all ministers of reconciliation. Can you get an amen? We are all carrying Christ. We all express Christ. Uh, we're all ministers. But the purpose of these fivefold minister gifts is to equip uh, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, that word perfect in the Greek is the word teleos. And what it means is mature. Simply mature. Let me read it to you. It says, um, it's the word teleos, having reached its end, complete, perfect, mature, from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. And so... You know, we, we, when we use the word perfect, we kind of think flawless. And but really what this Greek word is saying is mature. And so it says, To we all can unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature child of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how many know a part of coming to church is about maturing? Now listen, here's the thing. As you mature... I mean, you know, you get stronger and stronger and stronger, and you start to find out you don't have to put up with the trash that the enemy tries to bring in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. A part of maturing is you, you get some authority about you, and you start knowing that your prayers are answered, and God hears you, and God walks with you, and God has blessed you. Can I get an amen? amen? The wrong dynamic in the church is that you come to church to have a relationship with God through the minister. That is not true Christianity. You come to church so that the minister can point you to Jesus so that you can have your own relationship with God so that you know that your, prayer, your prayers carry just as much power as the minister's prayers. Can I get an amen? amen? That's true maturity. This is not spectatorship Christianity where we idolize a minister. No, we are the body of Christ. There's nobody in this room any better than anybody else. Can I get an amen? There's nobody in this room that's more right with God than anybody else. We are the family of God. It's not a pyramid scheme, man. This is a family. We're seated at the table. Nobody has more of a right than anybody else does. And so in understanding that, there's a sense of maturity that comes in your life. And how many know when you have some maturity, you have some authority? Can I get an amen? And when you have some authority, you don't put up with some stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, you need to take a stand against fear. And you need to keep a stand against fear. And you need to maintain it. Don't tolerate it. Don't allow it to come into your house. Don't allow it to come into your life. Don't allow it to come into your mind. If you see it, take the trash out of your mind. Don't fool with it. Don't play with it. It's poison. You don't have anything to be afraid of in the times that we're living in. I don't care what's going on out here in the world. He that is within you is greater than he that's in the world. You can't play with fear. You can't tolerate it. Because how many know if you play with it and tolerate it, it multiplies? How many of sins the same way? You play with it and tolerate it, it multiplies. It can't be, it, can't, it doesn't stay in its nice little compartment. And so as you mature, you have a sense of authority that you are a child of God and, and, and it's, it's the highest rank. You're an ambassador of the kingdom. Can I get an amen? You're a king's kid. You're a child of God. Amen. And so... There's a maturity that comes into your life, and then what ends up happening, uh, you know, the purpose of the, the fivefold is to bring maturity and to help bring maturity, and then it goes on to make this interesting statement. Um, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. Ladies and gentlemen, in the time that I'm living in, I'm seeing people get wrapped up in universalism, throwing out their Bibles, walking away from Christianity, walking away from sound doctrine. And the reason that's happening is there's an absence of maturity. Yep. Yep. says it right here. Talk, no longer children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. How many know you should grow stronger and more confident? Not 
be covered in question marks. Now, I understand it's very important to walk with an element of meekness and teachability. How I many you know no one in this room has God completely figured out? We all need to remain teachable and humble and, 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 and hold you know, certain doctrines loosely as we learn and all of these things. But you need to hold fast to Jesus Christ and the gospel and the scriptures. Don't let go of that. Because we're going to find out that you can't grow up without the, without the milk of the word. The Word of God is going to keep you in a place of strength and keep you in a place of maturity. You know, if we take a, a, a child and we deny them the ability to eat, how many know they're not going to grow strong? And there's a great, there's a great deception that's happening in the body of Christ where people are trying to take Scripture away from Christians and demoralize it and say it's nothing more than a historical book. And, and, and I've watched these people's lives. It doesn't end well. I watch the fruit. Like when somebody gets a hold of something, I'm like, all right, let me see. Let me watch you. And the fruit that I have seen is no good. Let Keep hold of the inspired Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't deify the book. The book's not God, but the book is a representation of who God is. I know Jesus is alive and well and He's in a body. Amen? But Jesus Himself, when He warred against the devil, He did not create new Scripture, because He could have, because He's the Word of God. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Don't let go of what is written. It's a place of safety. It's a place of strength. But the reason a lot of people are being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine is there's a lack of maturity in their lives. And we live in a day and age where we see a lot of this happening. So anyway, and so... But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head Christ. So, there's an element of maturity in you personally. But how many know there's also an element of maturing that's happening in the body of Christ worldwide? How many know not only are we all growing up individually, but we're growing up together? I, I, see, I don't believe Jesus is coming back for a weak, defeated church. I believe Jesus is going to come back for a church that is victorious with its foot on the devil's neck. That's what I believe. That's my end-time theology right there. I, don't, I do not believe that the early church is going to be greater than the latter church. God never, ever, ever does He begin something greater than He ends it. He's never done that. It's not His MO. It's not what He's going to do. So don't, don't get scared and caught up in what the media is saying about the church of Jesus Christ. There are statistics that can't be counted. I'm talking about maturity. I'd rather have a small church of mature believers than a big church full of babies. You can't count maturity. You can't put a number on maturity, but maturity means more than something that you can put in a box and count. And so the end time church is going to be a mature, beautiful bride. And she's going to have her foot on the devil's neck when Jesus returns. And then the last enemy that will be put and laid down at his feet is death. Amen. Hey, we win. <laughs> we are more than conquerors. Amen. Don't, don't for a moment think that Christianity is weak or that we're doormats or, or, or that we're, you know, just flush all that down the toilet. We are mighty. Sons and daughters of God. Amen. And so, but in order for us to step into the maturity that is ours, uh, or into the authority that's ours, there's an element of maturity that has to happen. Amen. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And um, I alluded to this scripture just a little bit ago, but talking about maturity, I mean, it's something that we, 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 we can't do without in order to mature. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now here's the thing. The Word of God will bring strength into you because what the Word of God does is it brings the mind of God to you. I mean, you know, we, want to, we want to see things the way God sees things. We want to do things the way God does things. Amen? Because what God has works. What God does overcomes the world. You never see Jesus nervous in His earthly walk. You ne I don't care. I mean, they got Roman, the entire Roman Empire. You know, all the Sadducees, the Pharisees, betrayal in his camp. Jesus is never nervous. Why? Because he's born of God. 
He know, he's like, I made all this. I love the way he responds to Pilate. Pilate's like, don't you know I take your life? He's like, man, I can call 12 leading angels right now. You need to chill. <laughs> you think you're in control? I am totally in control, but I'm about to lay my life down. I'm about to save your butts. <laughs> I'm about to die for your sins, you know? But anyway, but, but my point being is that the mind of God is contained in the Word of God. But here's the key. How I many legalism will kill you? So just because it's... Scripture wrongly divided produces death. The letter kills, the Spirit gives life. So when it's rightly divided, when it's looked at through the lens of the finished work of the cross, when it's looked at through Jesus, it's going to bring life. I mean, you don't take the Old Testament and throw it away. Can I get an amen? I mean, Jesus preached through the Old Testament, and He preached Himself through the Old Testament on the, on the road to Emmaus. The Old Testament is powerful, but you have to look at it through the lens of the Spirit of God, rightly divide the Word so that Jesus will be revealed. Because Jesus is the giver of life. All Scripture should reveal Christ. Can you get an amen? And so, He says, Thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is what? Good, Good or the other word is gracious. So how many know that once you get a taste of the grace of God and find out that God's good, all Scripture is life-giving. All of it. From, from Leviticus to the Ten Commandments, every aspect of it. If you look at it through the lens of the cross, it's life-giving. Amen? But the Word is going to help you grow up. You can't grow up without the Word. You've got to have the Word to grow up. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. And, and we see another example here of Paul... Um, just talking about maturity. Because I think a lot of times in grace circles, we try hard to mature in legalism, and so we look warily at anything that has anything to do with growth. We're like, no, I already got it all in Christ. I already got it all in Christ. And we do already have it all. And we do begin in grace. But the growth and maturity is a New Testament concept that was given by the Holy Spirit. The work is finished in your spirit, but renewing your mind, um, there's an element of growth to that. I'm so thankful that my mind has been renewed to the love of God. So thankful to that. I, I, don't, I don't fight a lot of the battles that I used to fight, thinking that you know, I've disappointed God or I've let God down or I've somehow disqualified myself from the blessing. You know, I, I know God is for me now, you know, but it's taken, me, it's taken me some time to renew my mind to that reality. I've had to be purposeful about it, just like I was purposeful in legalism. See, it's easier to be purposeful in legalism because somebody's scaring the crap out of you the whole time, forcing you into it. Under grace, you don't have that, that motivation of fear and curse and all that stuff, so you've got to sit down at the table of your own free will and, yeah. and, and desire. And it's up to you, uh, you know, how much you want to eat, you know what I'm saying, or how much you want to develop or grow, you know. And that's a much better scenario, but it does, it's a different type of thing. I mean, in legalism, I was in church five days a week, four hours of service. Y'all, yeah, we was there. Me and Dan, boy, we was there all the time. <laughs> all the time, man. And, you know, and I'm grateful for, there are portions of it that I'm grateful for because I got the Word down on the inside of me, and I learned a lot of Scripture, but um, then there are portions of it I'm still healing from, you know, because I got my butt whooped pretty bad, too, as well, under legalism. So, anyway, uh, in each life there is a journey, but... But the point being is there is growth in grace. Can I get an amen? There's growth in this thing, man. And, and, and honestly, the more you mature in it, uh, the easier your life's going to be because you're going to be walking as a son and daughter of God. You're going to be walking in the authority that was given to you. Amen? So it's good. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, do I need that? Do I have something hanging off the side of my face? Or? Oh, okay. Amen. just want to make sure. If I ever have a booger on my nose, <laughs> I need everybody to stop the service and tell me. Never let me be the guy that preaches with a booger on his nose. Please. Same for my fly. If my fly's down, just tell me. You know what I'm saying? That's the cool thing to do. We don't have to be weird about it. You know what I'm saying? If I see somebody out and they got a booger on their nose, I will tell them. I don't care if I know. I'll be like, bro. Because this is the cool thing to do. You ever had a day where you spent your whole day and you were confident and you were out running around talking and then you got home and you had a booger on your nose and you're like, I had a booger on my nose all day. And, and, and when someone has a booger on their nose, you can't hear nothing they say. All you can do is just stare at that booger and think, oh, gosh. Uh, it is. It is. Please, like me enough to tell me. You know what I'm saying? So, amen. Praise God. Just, just being real. What? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> 
Amen. Amen. We've got to care about each other, right? I mean, you know, amen. Praise God. So thank God that wasn't the case right then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. Well, I, amen. For the sake of humor, it's okay, I guess. But not while I'm preaching, man. Please. Anyway, First Corinthians, that's never happened to me, I don't think. But First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul speaking. He says, how, isn't it funny how you can be preaching and everybody's like listening and, you know, but then you just start talking about boogers and everybody's like, this is great. This is awesome. We talk about boogers in church. This is so funny. And everybody's faith. It's true, man. It's true. It's okay. We like to laugh, man. Laughter does good like a medicine. Amen. It's good. First Corinthians chapter two, verse six. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who have come to nothing. And so Paul's like, look, there's an element of maturity in the New Testament Christianity. Amen. Now, he's still talking about maturity. I just wanted to read that, but let's drop down and he starts addressing what immaturity is in, in actually 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So drop down to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And so, you know, here, and really what immaturity is, is it's carnality. It's fleshliness. It's the old way of thinking, right? And you don't come out of this through the, through the product of the passage of time. I mean, you know, as, you know, as a phys physically, you know, my kids, I just keep feeding them. They just keep growing, right? But, but in, in, as a believer, just because time has passed does not mean maturity is present. Amen? And, the, and really the same is, is true mentally for, for, for young people as well. And so he's addressing carnality. He's like, man, love y'all, but y'all are dealing with some carnality. And the, and the Corinthian church dealt with a lot of carnality. And so a lot of times when we think carnality, you know, we think, well, sin. He's talking about sin. He's talking about sin. And certainly the Corinthian church dealt with sin, and Paul corrected that. But actually, he's not talking about that at all when he's talking about being carnal. Let's look at it. He said, I'm going to read it from the top again. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal and as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Until now, you are not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able to receive it, for you are still carnal. Now, he's, he's kind of, he's, he's dadding on him. He's correcting him here. And he says... For where there are envy, strife, and division. Those are, those, those are signs of immaturity. Envy, strife, and division. That's carnal. The, spirit, the spiritual things will never be envious, will never be filled with strife, and will never produce division. The spirit always maintains an, an attitude of humility, meekness, and unity doesn't mean that it compromises truth, but it means it doesn't get caught up in those divisionary wars. For where there are envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What you have to understand is the standard of a believer is higher than anything the world can produce. Paul says, y'all behaving like mere men. <laughs> He's like, you're not mere men. You are sons and daughters of God. You are, you're, you're, you're better than this. You're more mature than this. You're greater than this. Now, his correction is not to condemn them, because how many of you opens up the letter and calls them saints? He says, no, you're not. You're the temple of the living God. He never takes away from them who they are in Christ, but he's saying, look, man, y'all in the carnal mind right now with all this strife and division and envy, and he's like, y'all acting like everybody else. How I many you know we're not called to act like everybody else? Can I get an Amen. I mean, we're called to be holy. We're called to be uncommon. We're called to be different. That's what holy means. I preached on that like two weeks ago. So the word hagios. It means to be uncommon, special, set apart. We're not like everybody else. Um, it says, and then he goes on to, to, to further an, an element of immaturity. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus. Are you not carnal? Here's the thing. You are not called to identify with a preacher. Don't do it. Don't identify with me. Don't identify with a TV preacher or an internet preacher or whatever. That's not your calling. If you're, if, you're, if you're looking to identify with one of those people, 
you, you, you need to mature out of that. How I many you know it'd be better to identify with Jesus than just a person? Can I get an amen? But we're, we're, we're so prone to that as human beings. We're so prone to, to tag on our identity to a person. Well, you know, I'm, I'm of Joseph Prince. Well, I'm of Andrew Womack. You know, I'm of Creflo Dollar. I'm of Jeremiah Johnson. No, 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 man. Don't, don't water down the family of God by identifying with one of your brothers or sisters. Because at the end of the day, they are your brothers or sisters. Can I get an amen? Your identity needs to be in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and sectarianism, I can't even pronounce it, praise God. I'm from Kentucky. Factions, whatever. Division. Um, it's carnal, man. It's carnal. And you, you don't want to go down that route. Don't, don't deify or lift up a person. Stay with Jesus. Amen. And you know, and here's the thing, man. I would love to have some of Paul's preaching tapes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Paul kind of, he was preaching pretty good, right? And, and, but Paul's like, he's like, don't identify with me. He's like, don't sell yourself short. He's like, I'm just, a, I'm just, a, I'm a servant. I'm an apostle, but I'm a servant. Identify with Jesus. Can I get an amen? Because what they were doing is they were arguing amongst each other because this group identified with this group and this group identified with this group. How I many know we'd be better in Christianity if we could drop all our labels, our non-denominational Baptist, Methodist, you know, charismatic, whatever. Let's all just be Jesus people. Let's be believers. I mean, we'd probably get more done in the earth if we quit scrambling and fighting amongst ourselves and arguing. You know, one thing I'll say about darkness is it's pretty unified right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, darkness has found a way to unify. And their unity shames us. And I hate to use the word shame, that's, but that's the word that I thought of. Um, we need to be more unified than they are. And we're not going to be if we're constantly picking our camp that we're in. Well, this is the table that I sit at. And I understand that. I understand, you know, I'm, I'm, I understand that. But in times of person, I guarantee you in the underground church in China, they don't have denominations. They don't have no denominations. Why? Because they can't afford to. They cannot afford to divide one iota or they might die. The, the level of persecution they're dealing with demands unity, okay? And I pray, God, our country never comes to that because I don't want that for our country, but persecution is being turned up against Christianity worldwide. And so it's time to stop all this envy, strife, and division, amen? Know that if you're in envy, strife, or division, you're in the carnal mind right then, and you need to step back away from that because you're better than that. Can I get an Amen. You know, and, and, and so, you know, no condemnation, none of that, but uh, we, we, we want to we wanna mature. Anytime God brings correction in your life, it's always a correction of identity. You know, when the prodigal son came home, he tried to be a servant. The father corrected him and said, bring the best robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes, kill the fatted calf, throw a party. You are not a servant. You're a son. Okay, get an amen. All correction, God's not going to correct you out of your identity. No, he's going to say, you're better than that. Come on, let's go. Amen? All right, cool. Now, um, now turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. And I want to talk about something that really stunts growth. And um, it's something that we talk about quite a bit, and, but most of the church world doesn't actually talk about that much. But I do want to spend a little bit of time on it because it is something that will definitely, it will hijack your maturity as a believer. 2 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 2, it says, Grace, I'm going to wait. Until you get there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given, given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. But also for this very reason. Now, I want, I'm going to give you some attributes of maturity. Giving, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. I mean, you know, faith is maturity. 
Virtue is maturity. Let me just read through it. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. I mean, this sounds like a mature believer, right? What do we see here? I see faith, virtue, self-control, perseverance, godliness, love, kindness. This is maturity, right? Amen. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like maturity, right? And then he goes on to say, and here's, here's what blocks this. This, was what, this, is a, this is a maturity blocker. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. When you don't know that you've been forgiven and you think that God is against you or God's holding sin against you or you're under that condemnation, there's no way you're going to mature. And that's why the vast majority of the body of Christ is not operating in maturity because they don't know the cross was a success. Because they're not taught it. They're not taught it. They're, sin, in most legalistic Christian circles, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, I'm just being real, sin consciousness is developed. They come to church, they hear how bad they are, how they're not measuring up, how they're not good enough, how God's mad at them, you know, and, and they, they got to make sure they give this amount, they got to make sure they do this, they got to make sure they do that in order to, to live forgiven and to be a child of God and not be excommunicated from the family. That type of dynamic will never produce maturity. Because every Sunday, you know who's on the chopping block? Jesus and the finished work of the cross. What are you talking about? In order to preach a message that people are not forgiven and that they're not loved and they're not accepted, you have to discredit the cross. And, and, and I know, I can't think of any pastor who would knowingly discredit the cross. But because they, they've, they've drank the Kool-Aid for so long, and, and, and they've drank the mixture of the covenants for so long, they don't know how to motivate people without making them afraid that they can lose their salvation. Yeah. They don't know how to motivate people without making them afraid they're going to lose their blessing. And they feel like, you know, if I actually preach the gospel and tell people that they're forgiven and that they're loved and they're blessed apart from their behavior, then I'm going to lose control over the people. And they're right. They are going to lose control of people. They were actually never called to have control over the people. A shepherd is not a controller. A shepherd is a protector and a leader. You know what I'm saying? But, but we've exchanged the role of shepherd for taskmaster, and we've learned how to discredit the cross, which put a whip of condemnation into the pastor's hand, and we've cracked the whip, and we've made people give. We've made people come to church. We've forced people to do these things, but these people have never been able to grow up. And so what ends up happening is they, they stay carnal, and they stay worshiping the pastor. And then the pastor falls in love with the people's worship. He gets drunk on the people's worship. And, 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 and the ability to take, and so then he turns into something that he's not called to be, which is a go-between between God and man. And then what ends up happening is you have this, you may have a beautiful church building with all this outreach and all these things going on, but inside you have nothing but carnality and no maturity whatsoever. Because people don't have their own relationship with God, they have their relationship vicariously through the pastor who's discrediting the cross in order to motivate the people. Astonishing, isn't it? I mean, your eyes get open to it, and you're just like, I can't even, this is amazing, you know? And, and it's so rampant, and it's so everywhere, that, that, that people like us look weird, because we're not like that, and we're different, you follow me? And so it's like, you know, what message is this that you're preaching? You know, this is, well, it's just the gospel. It's 2,000 years old. It's a message of freedom. And deliverance. It's not a message of control. And so, anyway, this is kind of what we're up against. But you cannot, amen, you can't mature in that type of environment. You can develop and iron the strength of your own will to try harder and do more. But you always end up envious about someone who you think is better than you. Man, if I could just be like pastor so-and-so. Well, if I could just be like sister so-and-so. And so you're living in this state of, of, of envy 
and, and strife and division. And how many know in those type of environments, it's very cutthroat? That's one thing I love about our church. There's nothing cutthroat in here, man. Like, we're just people, you know, and like, it's not all this, excuse me, jockeying for position and all that. In legalism, man, it is a nasty place. I mean, it, it, it looks great. I mean, it may look good outwardly, but inwardly, everyone's just ready to stab each other in the back so they can get a little bit, little bit closer to the front row. Anyway, the reason maturity can't happen is people forget that they're forgiven. And that's why the gospel has always got to remind you, you know, you ever had a, a, a hose and it had something inside of it and the hose was kinked up? How I many of you got tons of water on the, on, on the inside, but there's a kink there. There's a twist. And as long, I mean, you're filled with all of these things that I just mentioned, perseverance and self-control and godliness and love. All those things are in you. But if you, in your mind, if, there, if there's, a, if there's a, a twisting in your understanding of your forgiveness, you'll end up living carnal. You know who's the person most susceptible to temptation? The person that thinks God's mad at him. That's how it works. The strength of sin is the law. And when I'm talking about the law, I'm not talking about the law in the, in the sense of it being a standard of morality. I'm talking about law in the sense of it justifying you. When you are under condemnation, sin is raring to go. When you're under grace, it's not. You know, a great example, this is our youth camp. You know, we got 60, 70 kids, teenagers, out here, boys and girls, and we don't put a bunch of legalism on them. We point them to Jesus, and you know what? We don't have any trouble. Nobody trying to sneak out. Nobody trying to act crazy. No fights. <coughs> Just days of heaven on earth, man. Why? Because the attention's on Jesus. But if I got up and I was like, all right, here's the rules. You got to do this and 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 this. And you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. You're bad. You're no good. You need to stop. Blah, blah, blah. If that's my approach, then how I many, it's like taking gasoline and just dumping it on the carnality man no no no. there's a higher way the, the grace of God is the wisdom of God like it works amen and um, but when there's an when when we don't believe we're forgiven we stop the flow of these things now turn to Hebrews chapter 5 a couple more places and we close here talking about maturity Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. Paul keeps talking about this solid food. He's like, milk and solid food. You know, Lily right now, she can't eat solid food. She's not old enough to eat solid food, right? She's got to have baby food. She's not mature enough. I mean, you know, if, I, if we hand Lily a steak, it's not going to end well, you know? She is my child. She might take one tooth and find a way, you know what I'm saying? Praise God. She, has her, she appears to have her daddy's passion for food. <coughs> but as she gets older, she can handle solid food, right? God's looking to get people on solid food, right? How many know, and one of the reasons she can't sleep through the night or whatever is, how many know milk don't keep you full for long? If the only thing I had was milk, I'd probably be cranky quite a bit. Oh, I've been, drinking, been trying to drink that daggone oat milk. Golly, man. Praise God. Don't even get me started on that. All right, anyway, moving right along. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gagged. Okay, all right, I'm better now. Woo! Praise God. Hallelujah. If we only drank milk, it's not enough to keep you full. But how many of you eat a big steak or you eat something with some substance to it, you can, you can stay full for a while, right? God's trying to bring his people onto solid food. Now, so what is solid food? Let's look at it. He says, um, he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. What, what produces maturity? We've talked about this many times in here, but you have to know you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have to know that you're forgiven. You have to know that your sins and lawless deeds he will remember no more. You have to know that your past, present, and future sin has been forgiven on the cross 2,000 years ago. When you become skilled in righteousness, the enemy can't condemn you any longer. As long as the enemy can condemn you, he'll knock you right out of maturity every single time. Because you'll get moving along in a direction, and the enemy will bring condemnation, and then next thing you know, you think God's mad at you. How can you sit in his lap and enjoy him and mature 
and think he's going to beat you at the same time. You can't. So if the enemy can, can, can condemn you, you'll remove yourself from fellowship with God. And how many know all maturity happens through fellowship with God? Amen? And so when you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, you can't grow up. And how many of we just talked about that just a moment ago? How many of the vast majority of the body of Christ is unskilled in the word of righteousness? They don't know they're the righteousness of God. And see, what the enemy's done is he's, he's, he's got these twisted. People think the message of the gospel, oh, that's just milk. But behavior modification, you tell me what I can do and can't do, that's meat. It's actually the opposite. Milk is behavior modification. Milk is don't steal. Milk is honor your father and mother. Milk is, you know, don't sleep with your mother-in-law, according to 1 Corinthians, you know, chapter whatever. Those behave, that's milk. Meat is this is who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. How many know, as you start to embrace who you are, sinful behaviors start to fall off of your life? Can't get an amen. You know, the reason I'm not, the reason I don't struggle with drug addiction is because I'm not a drug addict. <laughs> and it's, but see, I wasn't a drug addict 20 years ago when I first got saved, but I was still on drugs. But I wasn't a drug addict because God had created me new. Can I get an amen? But it took my head some time to catch up to the fact, to finding out who I was. But once I found out who I was, look out. Yeah, I don't have to deal with that no more. Why? It's not who I am. And how many of you, it's the same for every other destructive behavior and habit? Can I get an amen? One of the things God's working in my life is patience. Amen. Yeah. Well said. May the luck of the Lord God be with you. It's the Irish shamrock blessing. I almost feel like my dog is a part of this process. We all, I preached about, I complained about my dog for two months, right? But like, I'm starting to understand something. When I am patient, because it's not been a strength, right? We all have different personality types. But when I am patient, I can enjoy my life more. And I actually trust God with my life and with my time. How many you know God doesn't need you to be how many know that you, God will get your divine appointments and, and things to you as you just relax? How many know maybe sometimes you're in traffic and the reason traffic's slow is you ain't supposed to get there so fast? Maybe God's saving you from something. Maybe God's developing something in you. Because how many know when you're impatient with people around you, you put a lot of pressure on them that they don't need. And when you're impatient with yourself, you put a lot of pressure that you don't need. I mean, you know, there's an element in the kingdom of relax, God's got this. And God's been working. To, I mean, everybody say maturity. I'm maturing in this area. I really am. I'm maturing in this area. And what I'm seeing is I'm actually enjoying my life more. I, don't, I, I can look at my children and enjoy them rather than being so caught up in all the things that I need to get done with them. Y'all tracking me here? I mean, it's the same for people that you work with. It's the same for people around you. Because if you live, I mean, this world tries to run on impatience. Ah, we freaked out. We got to do stuff. <laughs> we got more stuff to do than what we can do. And then we just live freaked out. And we have no peace. And like, this is an area that I've been weak in that God's developing in my life. And as this development's happening, you know what's happening to me? I'm enjoying my life more. I'm chilling out and slowing down and relaxing. And here's the thing, you can actually get more done when you're in peace than when you're in, in the absence of peace and impatience. And actually, when you're in patience, you're actually trusting God with your time. So what am I doing? What are you doing, Jeremiah? I'm opening up a piece of my life that I'm weak in, that I'm developing in, and I'm seeing some development in, because there will never come a time in your life when you can stop maturing in the things of God. You don't reach this place of absolute development here. Maybe you will on the other side, but right now, man, you, how many know you are patient? Can't get an amen. I'm patient in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, come on, because like the fruit of the Spirit's patience, I got it. It's temperate, self-control. I'm doing a little better, a little better, amen. Instead of eating the whole gallon of ice cream, I'm just eating a half gallon. <laughs> no, but I don't say all these things to to make us feel bad about where we're at, I say that there's development that all of us has. And as that development happens, you know what? It doesn't make your life better. 
And you know what happens? People see Jesus in you more. Right? Because Christ is in there, man. But there's a maturity that's happening. But in order to, to for maturity, that, that, that word of identity. How many of you know, as he is, so are you in this world? Jesus is who you identify with. Amen? All right. So that word of righteousness, you got to know that you're forgiven. Amen? Now, turn to Philippians chapter 3. A couple more places and we close. I've settled within myself. I'm not going to preach more than an hour. I'm just, I'm going to do it. If I can't say what I got to say in an hour, I got a problem. I need to change it. Not because I'm trying to be religious or weird, but just because I should be able to say what I got to say in an hour. Praise God. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, and this, uh, talking about maturity here, a couple more places here, and we close, but there's a maturity that God wants to bring into our lives, man, if we'll allow Him to. Amen. And, it, and it's for our benefit, and it's also for the benefit of those around us. We can grow in grace. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul speaking here, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, that's that word teleos, it means mature again, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many as are mature, same word, teleos, have this mind. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What, is, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Paul's saying the maturity of a believer is an ongoing process. And never feel as though you have arrived. I mean, you know, the moment that you feel like you have arrived, there are no experts on God. There's not. I mean, there is not. But there are people who think they're experts on God. And you know what they've said? They said, I have stopped growing. <laughs> they're saying, I have stopped maturing. And, and you don't want that. You don't want that. And if, if Paul, who was taught by the resurrected Christ himself, if he felt like he had opportunity to mature how many know us too and so what, what i'm saying is he's saying let this mind be in you what is the mind that mind is that i will continue to grow and i will continue uh to to mature amen and uh and continue to allow development in my life listen man the mark of a wise person is they love correction you're going to struggle to be corrected as long as your identity is in your performance You've got to take your identity out of your performance and put it in Jesus. This is talking about being skilled in righteousness. If I know I'm the righteousness of God when I do good and when I do bad, I don't have to feel bad about getting corrected. What, what's the nature of a fool? A fool can't handle correction. Why? Because they take everything you say to them personally. You're at a kid that, you know, just with coaching and stuff like that, you have kids that, I was talking to this guy the other night at the soccer game, we used to coach and stuff together, and there was a kid who was phenomenally talented. He was probably the most talented athlete on the team. The kid couldn't handle correction. And I asked him, I was like, what about that kid? How's he doing? Nah, nothing. And I mean, that's sad, because you can have all this potential, but if you can't be coached or you can't be corrected, you will not grow. And the, one of the ways that righteousness allows you to grow is I know, you know, we know that our identities in Jesus, amen? We're the righteousness of God. And so if I can, if some correction comes my way, I don't have to feel like I've been made less than because I've been corrected in the direction that I'm going. If you'll learn to love correction, you'll grow in wisdom. If you'll learn to love correction, you'll grow in wisdom. If you'll learn to love correction, you'll grow in wisdom. <laughs> if you don't, then you won't grow. I mean, a fool just does the same thing over and over and over again. And, and you know, we live in a, in a world where foolishness is rampant. Nobody wants to be corrected. Everybody thinks that they're right. And then if you try to correct anybody anything, they get offended. Well, who cares? We don't have to be those people. <laughs> Amen? Like, I'm, we're going to be different. Let's be special. Let's be uncommon. Amen? Um. So we all have the ability to grow, amen? And then um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, quickly. How many of you know this is the love chapter? 
It's a chapter that talks about love of God and beautiful chapter and relays what love is and it's kind and it's patient and it's um, not self-seeking and all these wonderful things. But, but then he goes on down into, because we're not going to read the whole thing for sake of time, but 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, when I became full grown, I put away childish things. I mean, that statement is a statement of maturity. And then the entire context of that chapter is love. Do you know what maturity looks like? Love. That's what it looks like. You know what maturity is? It's love. Letting love flow through you. I mean, through the gospel, you've learned how to receive an unconditional love. Right? We're learning how to do that. Drink it in, man. God loves you no matter what. You're blessed no matter what. You're righteous no matter what. Once you've received Jesus. <clears throat> but the maturing of it is letting that love flow through you into the lives of those around you. You want to see a mature spiritual person? You're going to see love. Amen? Very simple. You'll know a tree by its fruit, right? Not theological degrees. Not the ability to debate doctrine on Facebook. Not the latest revelation. Not all these things. Let me see your fruit. How you treat people. <laughs> That's what matters. That's what matters, how you treat people. And not how you treat strangers. <laughs> how you treat the people around you. Seriously, man, that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, and in, and in legalism, we were taught how to put on a good show on Sunday morning. Smell good, look good, fight the whole way there, fight the whole way back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Treat everybody like crap through the week. As long as we can look good in front of the pastor, God loves us. Forget that, man. I, I, I want a gospel that works at the house. Can I get an amen? Because at the end of the day, who cares what we all think about each other? I mean, we love each other, but like, we ain't nobody putting on a show here. I mean, I just talk about booger on my nose for like, you know, three minutes. You know, like, I don't, I want to expel that from the church. I mean, you know, there is a freedom in not needing people to like you. That's one of the greatest things that, one of the beautiful things God's worked in my life. You know, because periodically people just won't like you. That used to bother me. I was in the gym the other day, working out, and there's some guys in there, and they don't like me. They don't like me at all. I can feel it. But you know what? I don't care. <laughs> I don't need them to like me to feel good about myself. Can't get an amen. You know who set me free from that? Jesus did. Because Jesus loves me. I don't care if you like me. You know, and I don't have to change the way I act. I don't have to be a jerk to him. But I can just be myself because I don't need your vote. Because I ain't running for office. I have been elected before the foundation of the world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know how good that feels? Hallelujah. Because I used to, as a young person, live my life paralyzed by what people thought about me. Constantly, just, oh, how do I look? How do I sound? How do I, 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 I. Man, Jesus will set you free from I. And, and love sets you free from I. Amen? Last place, Philippians chapter 1. Here's the best news of everything that I'm going to share today, besides me sharing the gospel. This is the really good news. Amen? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means God's going to complete the work that he started in you. <clears throat> Can't get an amen? amen? What are you talking about? Jeremiah, you just talked about growth for 45 minutes. Yes, we, we, we can allow ourselves to grow. We can pull up to the table and feed on the word of God. We can make a decision to mature. But how many know at the end of the day, he's the author and finisher of your faith? So it doesn't matter how much time you've wasted. It don't make how, it matter how many mistakes you make. God's going to complete that work in your life. Can I get an amen? I need an amen there because, if, because you need to understand that, like, don't, don't, God's got you. You know, you may have been impatient for 40 years. It doesn't mean that you have to stay that way. Can I get an amen? How many will let this mind be in you, which was in Christ? We can develop. We don't. The only thing we want to identify with is Jesus. We don't want to identify with any of the old person stuff. You know, the old man, the person that we used to be. Amen? And so God's going to finish that work in you. But there is a call to maturity in the body of Christ. Amen? And uh, this is what we're, we're, we're called to do. We're called to mature. We're called to grow up. We're called to be, to be spiritual. 
And uh, the primary thing is knowing that you're the righteousness of God and you're forgiven. But the other things is just making sure that you're identifying with who God said you are, not what your mama said you were, not what your daddy said you were, not what your old pastor said you were, not what your friends say that you are. Listen to me, not what you've said about yourself. Who are you going to believe, you or God? God says that you are loved. God says that you have joy, that you have patience, that you have love, that you have kindness, that you're self-controlled, that you're temperate. God says that you're one of his children. God says that you're perfect. God says that you're valuable. God says that you're lovely. God says that you're special. That's what God says. Y'all want to agree with God? Because it's not a work of the flesh to mature. It's a work of faith by grace. You just simply believe. And what what it will include is you changing the way you talk about yourself. Can I get an amen? How many of we can help this in each other too? Amen. We can not know each other according to the flesh. We can know each other according to Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hope you guys got some out of that this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're, we're going to give. Uh, if you need to give an envelope, we'll get one to you. Those of you watching online, um, you can give. Just go to gracepointgeorgetown.com. Gracepointgeorgetown.com. How am I going to forget the <laughs> daggone thing? What church we in? No, this is gracepointgeorgetown.com. You can go there. You can give. You can support our ministry. Those of you that do support our ministry, thank you. Thank you for giving into our ministry. We appreciate it. Freely you have received. Freely give. Amen. Um, do you have some announcements here?